Welcome back to the Sharpen Podcast. I'm Ashley, the creator of this show. If you value this show, please show your support by becoming a Patreon member. Head to patreon.com slash the sharp end podcast. There are multiple levels you can choose from, and you can do a one-time or monthly donation. I produce this show all by myself, and every little bit helps. Have you been involved in a rescue this year? Say a huge thank you to the team by nominating them for the Rocky Talkie Search and Rescue Award. This year, Rocky Talkie is giving away $25,000 to four teams to celebrate and recognize rescues in 2021. Nominate a team today on the American Alpine Club website. Applications close January 31st, 2022. And don't forget to use code SHARPEND to get 10% off at rockytalkie.com. These are my favorite radios, and I take them with me on every single backcountry adventure. They also make for a great gift. I just got my nephew a pair for Christmas. This month, Crude Conversation, which is one of my all-time favorite podcasts, has sponsored this episode. Alaska is a place of grandeur, with breathtaking landscapes, impossible mountain ranges, and endless wilderness. It's a destination and an adventure you won't soon forget. And the people who visit it and inhabit it are no different. They're athletes, survivors, and explorers. Here's Roman Dial talking about what a lifetime of exploring Alaska's natural world has taught him. It's made me um, appreciate people more. I think it's made me more generous and also it's, it's made me more cooperative. I think my father once told me we don't learn anything unless we're wrong. And so maybe I'll just have to say I've learned a lot. <laughs> Explore what it means to be Alaskan on each episode of the Crude Conversations podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. This show is also supported by the American Alpine Club and Desert Mountain Medicine. Today I talk with a father and son climbing team. My name's Ian Davis. I'm 16 years old and I've been climbing essentially my whole life. Um, I don't really do much. I'm a student. So what I do is homework and when I can, I get outside. And where are you going to school, Ian? I'm going to school at Tucson High Magnet School here in Tucson. Um, And I'm a junior there. Yeah, hi, I'm Aaron Davis. Uh, I'm 42. I've been climbing most of my life as well. Uh, I'm a school teacher here in Tucson, Arizona. I teach fifth grade. Because Aaron is a teacher and Ian is a student, they both had summer break off. So this year in 2021, on their summer break in early June, they decided to head to Zion National Park. They've been there a few times before. They actually try and make a trip to Zion at least once or twice a year. Ian has climbed about a half dozen climbs in Zion. Some big, some small. Anyway, I'll let this father and son climbing duo share their story with you. I hope you enjoy. Um, yeah, so it's an area that we're pretty comfortable with. And especially like where we're going, it is an adventurous route, right? But it's really close to just a campground. And um, yeah, I mean... It just felt like another usual climb in Zion, you know? What we usually try to do is we go out climbing some something that has been climbed before, but isn't necessarily the most popular route. 
and sometimes while we're on the route we'll look off to the side and we'll see a beautiful crack that just wanders off and we're like oh we didn't read this in the book i wonder what it is and we go and climb it you know and that's kind of our our thing that we are like to do and are comfortable with and so that's what happened uh the day of the accident so so we're we're traditional rock climbers primarily. We we've we traditional we, meaning gear, using gear climbing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and and we've done a lot of route development in Kochi Stronghold over recent years. And and Ian's whole life, uh, you know, he was eight years old when he was in the Cirque of the Towers. He's been climbing in the Sierras. You know, the two of us. I think he fed me out rope on Cathedral Peak in Tuolumne when he was like seven. You know, just the two of us. You know, and and so. I mean, we, we definitely get around and, and we definitely try to climb some wild stuff. And, uh, and, and so we've been gradually pushing our, our limits a little bit more. And, and, and there's this like ideal that we, that we try to, um, you know, uphold is that, uh, we want to be skilled enough to just kind of like walk out into the mountains and climb something that looks good. And we do that at home in Cochise all the time. We wander out into the hills and we, we look for, for, for uh, traditional lines that haven't been done, or maybe they have been done a few times. And, but you know, we, we're, we're, we really strive to be traditional on-site rock climbing. Adventure climbing. Adventure. Like you see something and whether it's in a book or not, if it looks good to you, you climb it. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't mean it has to be free and clean every single time, you know, you know, it's, you're just out there giving it your all. So there are two routes on this formation and, and neat from what we understand, neither of them have really been climbed much at all. And we probably wouldn't have normally even chosen these routes if Zion wasn't on such a hard lockdown. I would have loved to take him to go climb a classic like Touchstone or or something like that in the canyon. But with the way the, the shuttles were working, um, it was it was really difficult to get to get into the canyon to climb some of those routes. And so we chose a route that is rarely done at, at the west entrance. Um, and it was on a formation called Mount Greer, which is in between um, Bridge Mountain and the Watchman. And, uh, and we wanted to climb Slow and Delirious slash the Reach Around. There are these adjacent routes on this formation. The formation has a reputation for being heavily fractured. And so we knew there were options to just kind of potentially explore, you know. And, uh, and when we were, and, and so this all kind of leads up to the accident in a variety of ways, because, um, in Zion, you're not supposed to bivy at the base of walls. And last time we were there, we tried this, this big route on West Temple, and we tried to do our approach at four in the morning. And, and, um, and, you know, by the time we got there, the sun had been up for an hour and we were already exhausted. And here's this 20, 30 pitch, this 20 some pitch route. And, and we didn't get it done. We were, we, we needed to get at least halfway up the, the route on day one and it didn't happen. So that was in the back of our heads when we decided to hike up to the base of this formation the night before and bivy at the base. And, um, and because we wanted to get a, an early start for this big route and who knew what was going to happen um the route 
it was very wandering. And for a lot of the, I mean, we were trying to follow the lines that were previously established, but we honestly, it was hard to tell, like if we were on the route or not, or which route that we were on. Um, so, I mean, it was just, the whole thing was kind of a mess to begin with. Like, again, kind of leading into the injury, it, it was a messy and chossy route. And there were plenty of times where we would, a pitch would consist of half rock and then half, like, bush, climbing vertical bush, <laughs> like, through it. And it's slapping you in the face. And you've got, like, no gear. These are, you can't even sling the bushes. They're too, like, thin and just, like, rip out. And so, yeah, like, the first, what, how many, how many hundreds of feet do you think we went through, like, moderate ledges and bush and crack? It, it's got to be, like, a thousand two hundred feet of just this repetitive ledgy bushy <laughs> like, sounds adventurous sounds it like was, this time has never been done before probably well especially <laughs> we actually thought like around the upper half we were established or like it was all fa territory you know um and that was a lot of that well, this is the line, but that over there looks pretty cool. Well, what was the route, the, the reach around? No, not the reach, a slow and delirious, I think we wanted to primarily do. That's supposed to be a 14-pitch route on its own. Mm -hmm. um, on a fit, you know, so the, the formation is 1,500 feet. But you didn't do that one. You decided to do this one instead. We did the first four pitches of maybe that route, maybe the one. <laughs> Very like lengthy pitches. We're not necessarily stopping where everybody else stopped. We've got a 70 meter rope. We try to run it as far as we can, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So about, uh, yeah, four pitches of that, I suppose. Yeah. And I think we started 600 feet. We were on our, our 12th official pitch when the accident happened. Mm -hmm. and, and what happened well so we're at the top of the route right extremely we're exhausted but still pumped up with adrenaline just like ready to go and i lead the pitch up to that 12th pitch ledge and i get there and i look up and i'm like holy shit we see that i see the top it's right there i yell down to my dad and He's just like so stoked to get up there. So he climbs up, he gets to me at the ledge, and we just are all gun ho. He doesn't even take much gear from me for the last pitch, um, just really swings right into the lead. And this 12th pitch was essentially, it was, a, it was uh, situated in a gully, right? Uh, which I am belaying at an anchor right at the base of this goalie in the middle of it. Which is where we should have recognized there's somewhat of an issue. Like, it was a shooting gallery. It was kind of obvious. We just didn't take that second to step what back. What do you and, mean? What's a shooting gallery? Um, there was chossy rock in this goalie. Okay, I see. So you mean it's like rocks can fall from the climber yeah. above to the blair? Gotcha. Because it sort of like yep. funnels right down to the blair directly. Yep, and that's I exactly see. that's exactly what happened. Um, he was leading the pitch, and he got to this like there's a pillar coming out, and he was chimneying in between that and like the main rock, and under his left foot, a boulder 
like cracked around it and then fell off and that triggered a rock fall it was uh i think my dad described it as a small refrigerator sized block that broke block and that came down and broke into smaller pieces and then gathered more of the choss that was in the goalie and it all just like came down and fell on me so so yeah i i mean i was chimneying right he says gully but it was a chimney and and it was kind of tiered so you, you you climbed you chimneyed 10 feet up and you walked five feet back and then you chimneyed 10 feet up and you walked 10 feet back you know it was we were directly under the summit of this of this formation we were less than 100 feet from the from topping this thing out and and so when he called down he's like i see the top and and like he had said i kind of like came around the corner we were super pumped it'd been a long day i looked up and was like oh dude that looks easy you know, I took a single rack off of him and was like, I didn't even go into the anchor. I was like, oh, let's get there. This looks good. Right. And, and, and obviously we should have stopped <laughs> and, and thought about just our, had some situational awareness instead of being like, oh, it looks good. Let's get it done. <laughs> you know? And so I'm chimneying and I'm halfway up the pitch and literally the wall broke away from my foot. Like, like, I'm chimneying and, and a and a big chunk of wall which didn't look loose broke away from my foot. And I had a hand jam in and and the the block comes away from the wall and I'm looking down at it, Ian and I'm pretty sure I shouted rock and but it was massive and it broke into pieces. I'm looking down at him and it's like really it's like slow motion because it, it hit and it just kind of slowly tumbled through you know, because it was like up five and walk back 10. So it's just kind of slowly tumbled and it did the next little step and it picked up a little speed and it did the next little step and it picked up a little more speed. And I'm looking down and as I'm watching him, I, the block, the first thing it hit was the lead line. It chopped my lead line. My, my, my left foot was dangling in the air. I was lucky to have a hand jam in and to still be wedged into the chimney because my foot was dangling there. Um, I, two seconds later, Ian is yelling, uh, my leg, my leg, my leg. And, and, you know, I, I, thankfully I had a, a tagline on me. We had, we had started hauling about three or four pitches earlier. And so I was able to fix my haul line really quickly. I, I didn't even hesitate. I, I literally slammed a single number two cam deep into this nice crack and I tied off my haul line to it. And I was back at the belay in like a minute you know so when the rock fall happened the big like what we take away from this right and what we should have done in that situation is at two things right we could have moved the anchor to the side a little bit and back um and then given myself like what I was attached to the anchor with uh just a little clothes hitch just uh, give giving me more slack so I could have moved out of the way because you were pretty tight against that clothes hitch I was I was pretty tight against that clove hitch. There was no way for me to really dodge any of the rocks. Like, I mean, I guess there was enough space around me for for me to move side to side and avoid some of it. But for the most part, there was nothing I could do. I was just stuck there. So you were hit by a rock. I was hit by a rock. Um, what did you yell when you got hit? I I yelled my leg. My leg. I broke my, my leg. leg because immediately when I um right after it happened and i 
was like aware of my surroundings, I guess. Um, my leg was pinned to the ledge by another like chest sized boulder. Um, it was on my knee and my leg, the ledge was sloping downwards, right? My leg was parallel to that with a bend in the femur. So I looked down and I could immediately recognize that my leg was completely <laughs> messed up. Um, and yeah, so it wasn't hard to tell <laughs> that it was broken. And, and Aaron, what were you feeling up high, you know, after you had secured yourself and you heard your son below you yell, my leg? Um, I, I, I didn't have time to think. The, the second he started shouting his leg, I, I fixed the rope and I was back at the anchor. Um, and it was obvious, instantly obvious his leg was horribly broken. And, um, and I, I, I went into the anchor, um, where Ian was, I gave myself enough slack, uh, to swing way out. And luckily I had some cell phone reception. And, and the first thing I did, I didn't even hesitate. I just reached out and I dialed 911 and I barely got some signal and, and those guys came through for us. And then, then I was able to, uh, to start attending to Ian. Um, and, and, and we stay positive, but I was, I was really scared. <laughs> yeah, it was a, um, <laughs> we definitely did try to stay positive and just keep our heads straight. In fact, because of the shock and I did not go into serious pain until like the hospital a few hours later. So I was able to like joke around a little bit. Um, I don't know. You snapped at me a couple of times. Support my leg, yeah, man. Dude, so we were like sitting there on the ledge and we had to keep my leg there because if we let go of my leg, my knee would like fall off to the side and we'd have to pick it up and then twist it back into place. Yeah. So, I mean, eventually a after supporting his leg for like 30 minutes, I was like, dude, I can't do this all day. Like we got to get the haul bag under your leg so you can like support it your own so I can. I don't know, just, I can't hold your leg forever. <laughs> you yeah, know? so we grabbed the haul bag, we grabbed the rope, we grabbed some rocks, and we, like, piled them underneath and on the side and just tried our best to keep that leg stable enough for, like, three, four to six hours. So then four to six hours goes by, you guys are chilling, staying warm, staying hydrated, keeping that leg supported, and then... What, does a helicopter come? Well, yes. Um, but surprisingly enough, there was another, like, rescue that had to happen around the area. So there's already a, a helicopter on their way. The rescue only took two to three hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, inc like, insanely fast. Helicopters usually take more like six to eight hours for, to get to Zion. For, from what we understand, this this helicopter rescue may be the fastest. I mean, the climbing rangers told us this might be the fastest rescue, uh, uh, helicopter rescue in Zion history. And, and the reason was because um, some other dude got rescued in the Escalante and dropped off at the same hospital we were going to get flown to. Instead of having to dispatch a helicopter from Salt Lake City, there was already one in the area. So we were, we were super lucky we didn't spend the night there because we, we were just about out of water. We didn't have a whole lot of food. My cell phone was dying. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> called 911 on like 3%. 
Yeah, something oh, like that. Gosh. I like to take a lot of pictures and, and videos and things, you know, and yeah. Did you guys have a, like a in-reach device or a spot device with you? We did not. Not with us. You know, I, I've gotten in-reach at home. We had actually talked about bringing it and then in our hustle to get everything together and out the door, we neglected to grab the in-reach. That could be a good learning, right? Because if you have you have one, I <laughs> oh, mean, yeah. a lot of people don't bring them because they don't have them. But if you had one, there's really no excuse to not just have that right there with your with your cams and your ropes and, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we've, we've got a room dedicated to all that stuff. <laughs> well, okay, so before we even get to learnings, uh, what so what happened from there? The helicopter arrived, and then and then what happened? Yep, the helicopter arrived. They dropped a cable. Uh, they dropped a dude down to us first. And this guy, his job was just to assess the situation and get make sure that like everything was solid for the pickup. Um, so he cut off my harness and got me off of the rope and then the helicopter dropped down a cable so he could then attach to a harness that he brought with him. He fit me in a harness and they yanked me out. Right. Yeah. As they like swaddled you in a harness and then, yeah, which was extremely uncomfortable. It like cut off right at where my leg was broken. So for the helicopter ride, I essentially had to take pressure off of my leg or like lift it up a little with my other leg. And then while they were pulling me out of this goalie, like I slapped the wall (laughs) a couple of times. Ouch. With your bad leg? (laughs) Yeah, on my bad leg side. Oh, you're like bouncing off the wall with your bad leg. That is awful. Yeah. Yeah, What happens to you, Aaron? Are you just left up there? Uh, Well, I mean... The sheriff was there with us and with me. Uh, It literally took two minutes. So the campground was 2,000 feet below us. I mean, when when they had ambulances waiting at the helipad, literally 2,000 feet directly below us. We were right above the Watchman campground in Zion. And so there was a crowd. (laughs) Ian got scooped off and and dropped off at the the, uh, ambulance. But because he's a minor, the ambulance couldn't just take off. So the helicopter came back for me, plucked me off, and and literally once the helicopter showed up, we were all said and done in the ambulance 20 minutes later getting out of there. We, like, lucked out in every way, shape, and form, honestly. I mean, the... Um, the break could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, the break could have. I could have been hit in the head. Right? So what did happen with the break? Um, it was a clean snap. Um, upper half of my femur. I have a titanium rod that goes from my knee to my hip, and then four screws, two on closer to the knee, two closer to the hip, to keep the rod from rotating. And the rod is situated in the bone, like through the bone marrow. And that surgery happened the day after this all happened. Yep. June 2nd. June 2nd. And we were officially recognized members of the American Alpine (laughs) Club the day before the accident, which saved us like $3,000 in rescue fees. Potentially, potentially. We got picked up by DPS. And so we have yet to receive a bill from those guys. But No, we did receive a bill. It was like uh, $1,400. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The, so what you're saying is, are... it pays to be a member of the American Alpine Club. It does. It was... <laughs> all, right, all, all you listeners, listen up to these yeah. guys. Yeah, you, you know, um, 
we really appreciate our local climbing organizations. We we do trail uh, crag pickup days. We volunteered with the Access Fund. We we became members again of the American Alpine Club. We had big plans to go put up some FAs in the Sierras. We knew we were going to be pushing our luck this season um, and and trying hard in in, in the mountains. And, um, and so it was, it was a no brainer for me to make sure that, uh, that we were full members. Well, so then what were the learnings from all this guys? Um, well, first of all, just to not, to, to really take a step back and assess the situation and not to get over your head when like anything can happen. And we've listened to this podcast, right? It is a, um, it's a lesson that a lot of people learn that injuries can occur no matter how comfortable you are on the rock, no matter how easy or hard or whatever. Like, just think about what could happen. But it didn't seem like you guys were over your heads. It, se- it seemed like it was it was right in there for, yeah, a warm-up or something very within your ability level to, to do this. I think he meant don't get ahead of yourselves. It, it's easy to be to get excited. We, we've probably, if we've been climbing for a while you and, and you – you're a, you're a multi-pitch rock climber and it's the end of the day and you've been working hard and, and you're, it doesn't matter it was a route you've done the first one time or a route you've done a dozen times, you know, you, you get to the last pitch sometimes and you're all excited and you're like, Oh my God, you don't even stop to think. And you're just like, give me the gear, not even stopping. Just, just send me in, in there to get it done, you know? And, um, and, and that bit us big time. Right. Like, there are, there are obvious, like, like obvious hazards. I, we have climbed in Zion enough to know that those top layers are really soft. I mean, on the pitch before, Ian, remember you're, you're following a pendulum where I was connecting crack systems and, and, um, and when you swung over and took on the rope, uh, like a large block broke loose and you guys, you took like a 10 footer, you know, on the fixed rope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then the pitch after that, I was leading and I was like kind of freaking out because the crack um, that I was trying to climb was so loose, just so crumbly. I could like, I would have fit a hand jam and broke the rock away from like around my hand. Yeah. So I opted for a slab to the left of it. And then that was also like chossy slab whatever that means it's it was sand i mean it's loose it was like this white rock it felt like marble like you're on marbles you're sliding around on marbles you know but but either way we should have known we should have known right that like i shouldn't have swung in and been like oh yeah dude that looks so good i'm just i should have been like oh this anchor is clearly in the wrong place we need to move it to the side and give ourselves a little wiggle room just that right there we would have had the most epic day. Even if my I had broken the block away and my lead line had still got chopped, I still could have gone in on my on my tag line and finished the dang pitch. You know, uh, if he had been able to get out of the way of the the rock coming down. Um, so uh, identifying obvious hazards and 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 adjusting, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, accordingly. Right. You know, just, just, yeah. Uh, but enthusiasm, we were, we were stoked, you know, our long day an eight pitch FA variation on, on this huge row. We were, we were beyond elated to be a hundred feet from the summit. Um, you know, 
making sure I've got battery in my phone or I don't forget my dang, you know, your in rage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Like, how, how ridiculous is that? I've got one. Well, and, <laughs> and luckily you had, you know, the time, little bit of service to be able to make that call. Uh, but there's so many places in Zion that, that don't have service. So you're, you yeah. you guys are really lucky there. Yeah. I've been climbing all of my life and sometimes, especially for how long I've been doing it, I forget that something bad could really happen. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really just a wake-up call for me that what we do is serious. It's inherently dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Complacency is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, it happens with time all too often. And that was, we were rushing the process, but really that, that boils down to us being complacent, right? Because a lot of it is is fun and games for us. We go wander around in the mountains and we just have a good time. And you, and ninety nine percent of the time, nothing ever happens, and and you forget. <laughs> well, I said, you know, I was interviewed on my own podcast in January, and I said something that actually uh, has gotten me some bad reviews. <laughs> I said I didn't think it could ha- it could happen to me, and. Um, and oftentimes I'm in the mountains and I do think I'm invincible and I don't think that I can get involved in an accident because I have a good head on my shoulders and I have experience and I have accepted the inherent risks, but all those things considered accidents can happen to anybody, even a father and a father and son pair who have been climbing, you know, for 16 years together. So it's just, you, you just, you can, you can try your best, but in the end, I mean, things happen. It's inevitable, unfortunately. Yep. But on the brighter side of things, for lessons that we learned, something that we did do pretty well, I'd like to think, is just to uh, keep a calm and rational head and to make sure that you're not panicking. Well, that doesn't serve anybody, does it? I mean, you're up, yeah, you're up no, 12 it, pitches it, high gets... and then you start to panic and then you start to you know lose sight of the end of the rope or, I mean, you make more mistakes. So yeah, good job, guys, for just staying yeah. calm and then having some humor until a couple hours later. Some bonding times, you know? Yeah, you know, you talk about bonding time, and I can't help but to wonder, though, about things like this. Like like when you're my age and you've got your own kids, are you going to look back and be like, damn, my dad was, like, really irresponsible. <laughs> like, like, you know, I, I wish he had taught me more. But, you know, I wish I, I had gone to summer school instead of gone climbing with him. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, we talk about college, which is a year or two away for you. And, and here you are a lot like me when I was your age, where all I want to do is go climbing and play outside with my friends and different things. And when I should have been thinking like, like, uh, what college am I going to go to in a year? You know, you, you know, um, that, that, that father-son dynamic has also led to, to a couple of other potential issues um, because, you know, as through probably most of our experience, um, learning from our parents isn't always, you know, our parents aren't always the best people to learn from. You know, you'd like to, you'd like to think that your kids listen to you. And, and as much as we might have good rapport and, and we get along, and especially when we're climbing together, we've really developed this partnership as, as I have really worked hard to 
instill some of my climbing ethics in him. Um, he knows he knows his systems and he knows how to haul and he knows all these things. But I don't know how many times we've actually had days where we just went and did some self rescue practice, and or or you know when we've got a free time, it's like we go climbing, and 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 we've had days where we've spent like practicing with a light haul. But how do you take those skills of practicing with haul bags and turn that into like rescuing your, your, your broken partner? (laughs) You know, how do you, how do you, there's like a need for us uh, to really maybe think about real instruction. You know, Uh, I, I never had any formal instruction. I've, I've been climbing a long time. I've climbed with a bunch of different friends. I had some solid mentors growing up, but I don't know if I'm the best mentor for my own son. And that also kind of like, like weighs on me a little bit, you know, in terms of how it would be nice for me to like get more of a formal education in terms of mountaineering, climbing, all of that. Um, I, before this accident, getting like a certification uh, to go guide and having that like real knowledge. Yeah. It, it didn't, it seemed like something cool and something that I could try, you know, but I wasn't so dead set on it as I am right now where I really feel like I need to go get my certification and I need to like put in that time to really learn what, exactly i need to be exactly what i need to know in case anything were to happen well we were talking about it the other day you wouldn't have known how to assess the situation if the roles had been reversed you know yeah i could have potentially figured something out i definitely would have tried calling 911 and you know we would have most likely been in a very similar situation just you with the broken leg and not me however if I mean, yeah, but you know, we're talking about, we were planning, trying to plan like huge expeditions. We were, we were talking about maybe wanting to go to, to Baffin or something like that, where, where these are places where these type of accidents can't happen. Right. And, and, and where rescue can take days, rescue could take days. So that, you know, that's a good question is, you know, uh, are either of you, Wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder trained? No. No. So you guys no. go out into these remote locations and I mean, do you have basic first aid? I I have mm-hmm. had yeah. some basic first aid training over the years. As a teacher, I've gotten trained through schools as a, as an administrator in the past, I've been trained with some basic first aid and CPR and, and, and my fiance, she, she has her woofer and she's, and, um, and so there are people around us. We are part of a, a of a community that's, that's very knowledgeable, <laughs> but as far as the two of us are concerned, no. One of, one or both of you guys should definitely get a uh, woofer. Yeah. It's so, yeah. It's so important, especially if you guys are going to continue to be each other's climbing partners. You know, if, if you both can't do it, then you know, the other person can at least walk the other person through what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, at, at, at what point, and, and maybe this is another lesson learned, uh, to, at what point do we check our pride? <laughs> you know? At what point do we check our pride? 
Well said. Thank you to Aaron and Ian for being on the show and sharing your lessons with our outdoor community. Thank you to Rocky Talkie, Crude Conversations, Desert Mountain Medicine, and the American Alpine Club for believing in my podcast mission. Desert Mountain Medicine offers an array of courses ranging from wilderness first aid to wilderness first responder. Whether you are a backcountry enthusiast or a guide, DMM has you covered. Having the wilderness first aid knowledge in the backcountry is essential for you and your partners. If you're ready to take a woofer course, visit desertmountainmedicine.com. Are you ready? As you heard Aaron and Ian say in this story, being a member of the American Alpine Club saved them money on their rescue. Learn all about the member benefits on the American Alpine Club website. Also, don't forget to nominate your favorite search and rescue team. Rocky Talkie has partnered with the American Alpine Club to award four search and rescue teams a total of $25,000. Nominate a team today on the American Alpine Club website. Applications close in a couple months on January 31st, 2022. Visit AmericanAlpineClub.org to learn more and join today. And don't forget to show your support of this podcast on patreon.com slash the sharp end podcast. Tis a season for giving and these podcasts don't produce themselves. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.